time being 7 o'clock, I call to order the August 22nd Franklin School Committee meeting. Meetings are recorded by Franklin TV and shown on Comcast Channel 11 and Verizon Channel 29, as well as recorded by Franklin Matters. Any individual who also wishes to record this meeting must notify the chair in accordance with Massachusetts General Law, Chapter 38, Section 20F. Right, first order, Pledge of Allegiance. If everyone can stand with me. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. As is customary, we will pause for a moment of silence. Thank you. All right, routine business, review of agenda. Agenda looks okay to everyone. Okay. Payment of bills, Mr. McNeil? All right, payroll's all set. I know hopefully at the next meeting, Superintendent should hear, we have student reps from the high school. Student reps will be joining us next meeting. Uh, Mr. Hannah had a meeting yet last week um, to discuss the the school year and some of the obligations and responsibilities. So you can expect them next meeting. Perfect. All right, and moving along to your superintendent's report. Okay. Good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Um, just to point out, I want to hit on the key dates to start the meeting this time instead of ending. So we have some key dates for students and families to be aware of. The first day of school for students is on August 30th. That's Wednesday, August 30th. The first day for kindergarten is August 31st, which is Thursday. And the first day for pre-K, or ECDC, is on September 5th after the long weekend. There is no school on Friday of that week. So uh, staffing update, uh, I emailed it to you electronically. You can find that in your email. We'll also provide it um, as well. But just to give you a sense of where we are at from August 8th to August 22nd, we have five teaching positions left to fill. Um, a .5 BCBA who would work district-wide, um, one elementary, teaching position, a special education position, and a high school math position from a recent resignation that occurred this uh, last week. Um, we are actively posting and prepared to, to continue the search and hire the, high, the most qualified candidate. That's where we are with our teachers. ESPs, we have uh, many vacancies. I'm also on a uh, thread with the area superintendents and the, the thread today was how many people have vacant ESP positions in every single district is ranging from 30 to 6, depending on the size. We land at 21 open ESP positions. Those are educational support positions for those who may be interested, who are watching or listening. And uh, we would welcome your application if um, you're someone, in, uh, a good citizen, a good human, and uh, have some skills to work with students and continue to support the work and the learning that happened within our school system. The, the worst that could happen, just make a phone call, call a principal, talk about the position. They're happy to take those calls and, and field them and explain what the positions are specifically based on the opening at a building. Is that pretty accurate? Yes. Okay. And we have one administrative position at Keller for our AP for student services. And there are some non-union positions. We have five open right now. Those continue to actively come in. Those are your ABA tutors, your activity monitors, and your interventionists that are at each of our buildings, particularly our elementary schools. So there's five positions there. These are all uh, less than the last report, except for ESPs. We've seen 
we've gone from 17 to 21 openings since the last meeting. All other categories are decreased because of our hiring. I'm happy to take questions on that. I'll just finish my report and then I'm happy to. Okay, um, new teacher orientation kicked off today. August 22nd through August 24th. So we uh, started today, we invited and welcomed 23 new educators to participate in day one of our orientation. They were greeted by our central office administrative staff. They received their laptops and their technology uh, from the technology department. And I wanna thank those who were there to issue those and help support folks as they logged in. And I provided them with a welcoming introduction to Franklin and what we're about and try to create a sense of belonging uh, among the group and then pass the mic to Dr. Rogers, who did some work around equity, inclusion, and belonging. Dr. Frazier and Mr. Stark then um, provided some information about Portrait of a Graduate and its connections to the Universal Design for Learning. And uh, Mr. Strolazzi, our HR director, discussed mentoring and support systems that are available within the Franklin Public Schools. And finally, the uh, principals and assistant principals joined us for lunch, and we had a lunch in the FHS cafeteria. And thank you to Colin Boisvert and his lunch staff for uh, providing that meal for, for us during that time. Tomorrow, our new educators will return. We kick off with uh, a segment from the FEA to invite them into the um, Franklin Educators Association, followed by Mrs. Verano, Mr. Duquette, Mr. Duquette and Ms. Graveline, who will talk about student services and special education. And finally, Mr. Sterlazzi will provide an update on safe and supportive schools. So when I say that we will provide information, um, most of these uh, sessions are pretty interactive and collaborative. We've tried to really model some of the UDL, the Universal Design for Learning approach, so that we're modeling what we want teachers to do, which is look at opportunities to collaborate, to choose how they want to process information, um, provide multiple ways um, for folks to engage in the learning, and uh, so far, every single group has really done that very well um, to try to provide that, just to model it. Finally, uh, we'll end with our Mrs. Merton and Mrs. Zogby. We'll uh, work with folks on instructional technology breakout sessions based on people's readiness and where they are with um, everything from Google to Aspen and all the things that you have to kind of know as you start day one. Kids come in and need to take attendance and start to look at the systems and be able to check your email and do all those things. So. We're excited about what the days bring. And finally, on Thursday, it's a building-based day, so the principals welcome their hires to their buildings. And it's a full orientation, um, which includes learning about the school, they get time in their rooms, and they get to learn about the initiatives happening at each school. Uh, our opening day is scheduled for August 28th, and we're excited to welcome our, our staff back to Franklin High in the auditorium. We'll kick it off in the morning. 8 a.m. Um, I'll begin with some opening words, and there'll be opportunities to just share about you know our our goals for the year and bring people back and and welcome them. And then there'll be time to transition to uh, their schools. That's where the principals will lead uh, a kickoff with staff. Finally, the second half of the day, traditionally, teachers have time to prepare in their rooms uh, with teams with colleagues so that they can be as prepared as possible. The next day, you may recall, uh, we have a professional development day that we started, we scheduled to be uh, two, we have two in a row, which is great, and we're gonna be kicking it off with an overview from teaching and learning, kind of what's, what are our goals and, and uh, plans for the year, and then Mirko Chardon, who works for Novak uh, 
uh, Education, who was our keynote last year, is returning um, to do uh, a follow-up to his keynote. We really received some positive feedback, and we wanted to build some continuity so that it wasn't a one and done, but that we're committed to that work and trying to build it forward. So uh, we're excited about that, uh, the Professional Development Day and the opening of school. And finally, um, I wanted to share that from the um, Office of Teaching and Learning. Last week, some of our elementary principals, assistant principals, and our math specialists joined Mr. Stark at the ST Math Summer Champion Day. And ST Math is the visual instructional program that we use across all elementary schools to complement illustrative math. And it's a tier one curriculum, uh, our illustrative math. Uh, this year, uh, students in all five elementary schools will continue to use the ST Math through a grant that was funded through the 1-8 Foundation. And during this day, ST Math celebrated Franklin because of 67% increase in usage from June um, 2022 to June 2023. Franklin's had the highest percentage increase in usage for the supplemental math to support our Tier 1 curriculum across um, uh, any community in the state, district in the state. The team engaged in new learning, collaborated around ongoing implementation, and began planning this year's professional learning in those areas. Uh, the developers of our partners of ST Math share a belief that every student has the potential to not only succeed, but truly love and appreciate math. That concludes my update, and I'm happy to take any questions. Any questions for you? Um, I think you said 26 now. New staff members? 23. 23. Is that a typical number or? That's low. It's low? That's low. Last year we hired over 115 people, but you may recall, I think we had 80 something at the, at the opening. In previous years, I can recall 30 to 40, 60 one year. So um, this is low. This is lower. So. Thanks. Any other questions? Yeah, so uh, just so in regards to staffing, so you said that was five, um, uh, five like non-ESP positions left to be filled, is that correct? Five non-union positions. Non-union positions. Where, and where were we at around this time last year? Uh, and it was a lot higher. For, a lot for, higher. For non-union, you mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for ABA tutors and interventionists, yeah, I think we were upwards. We had, I remember, we had 25 ESP openings last year at this time, and I can't remember the number. I could, I could search, but it's higher. Okay. It would, it would just be great to know whenever you have that, that data available, um, because I mean, I remember all the staffing crises that were kind of happening before, and just kind of seeing as you know the, the hiring. I think especially this year, it's been really targeted. You guys have been out there very quickly, kind of like you know making sure those numbers gets you know closer and closer to zero. For, for fall, um, so you know, kudos, great job, and uh, yeah, just be interested to see exactly kind of where we are in comparison to last year. But at some point, it's not to be in real time. Thank you. Good questions. Um, just the uh, kudos as far as practicing what you preach, uh, as far as PD and UDL goes, because I think that it can be overwhelming for people when they first sort of hear of it and like the idea is a good idea, but like how does that actually look mm -hmm. in a classroom? Um, and so, so doing some modeling and like we're going to teach you about UDL using UDL practices can be really effective and fun. Right? Absolutely. Good job. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you, Superintendent Gear.
Um, all right, moving along, we have no guest presentations, so discussion action items. Okay, for discussion action, tonight is our night we seek your approval for our handbooks. Mm -hmm. I will kick it over to Mrs. Moran, who will talk about the development with our principals and assistant principals, but they've been hard at work all summer. Uh, in between working groups by level, and um, I know Mrs. Ronald will speak to the sheet that she's organized with uh, with the principals. Thank you. So yes, our principals um, reviewed the handbooks both with as building-based teams and then by uh, level teams. Um, there were really no substantive changes um, at the elementary level or ECDC. ECDC. Um, really, some housekeeping revisions of you know updating staff names and maybe some updating some arrival procedures um, and whatnot. Um, at the middle level, there were some changes. We didn't think they were majorly substantive, but the middle school principals are here to discuss them or to um, answer questions about them regarding AI, um, clarifying head coverings, as well as updating just some um, placement of information and immunization information. Um, Mr. Hanna, our high school principal, is here this evening to talk about the substantive changes that to the high school handbook. So I'll ask him to go up and Evening, uh, school committee. If you're enjoying your summer. I had an wonky. All right, get settled in. Um, and happy to share with you some of the work that occurred over the course of the summer with our administrative team, uh, taking into consideration our handbook, which of course outlines the kind of general expectations uh, that students and families should have for Franklin High School in terms of what we do and what happens when things don't occur the way that we expect and you know we try to make it uh, user friendly it is a rather large document it's close to 100 pages but um, it's necessary and it's just like the mortgage when you sign all those documents that that books 100 pages because of years and years of things that have occurred that we said you know we got to put this in writing mm -hmm. and uh, we made some adjustments we're happy to share with you this evening uh, I think you're seeing the changes one thing I'd like to call just our attention to is, is this kind of a picture that we've come up with over the summer highlighting we are Panthers this is the 155th year that a high school in the town of Franklin has opened its doors to young people to provide education and we uh, were looking at I was a history major and taught history for a long time and I have a care level for our past I think if we look at it closely enough we can learn a lot about our future and as we were thinking about like who we want to be as a school and what we are we're, we're a part of something much bigger than just this year we're a part of a tremendous amount of time and effort put forth by generations of people out of this fine uh, town and city and you know we're going to be around for another 155 more years and we're going to experience all sorts of different things along the way and I think the handbook adjustments are kind of just a part of that and uh, for me it's, it's an honor to be a part of this tradition and we're going to be highlighting that to our faculty and students as we kick the year off so that said what are the changes you know and, and what questions might you have regarding these changes the first is is just a clear uh, explanation of our credit attendance policy so the expectations that students are in school um, and when they meet certain uh, thresholds of absences we communicate that to families and we offer an opportunity for students to earn credit back so maybe they were out sick for an extended period of time or other such things and we want to make sure that they recognize yes they still have to give back time and or maybe even learning and we've set up systems both that can occur during the school day and after the school day to earn that credit back. And previously, 
the uh, explanation was kind of done in independent letters that would go out to families. We wanted to be a little bit more transparent and put that uh, down in the handbook. Where is the space going to be? How do you earn the uh, credit hours back to allow for you not only to show your understanding of a grade, but also uh, the time that we expect you to be you know, a student in the school. So that's one. Uh, the second is a little more kind of timely. It's updated cell phone and electronic device policy. You know, 155 years ago, there were no cell phones, obviously. Now we're dealing with them all the time. And every year, they're getting more and more powerful. And we have a responsibility to kind of model for our students under the umbrella of a portrait of a graduate, like how to mature your way through a complicated life. Uh, we, phones are a reality. And phones can be really powerful in a good way. For example, giving like really important medical feedback uh, regarding blood levels or other types of information that's far beyond my even wildest imagination, right? Like students need the phones on them to uh, give their uh, information back to say, you know, where are things going on in my body? How am I still staying healthy? So like there's one extreme example of a, of a way it's good. And then sometimes it can be a huge distraction. Uh, there's apps like TikTok and, and other various apps that like really can kind of capture your attention and, Take it, make it much harder to focus on algebra two. So, however, phones aren't going away. They're a critical device that allows for our society to uh, interact uh, efficiently with each other. And so I think we need to teach our students how to manage them uh, properly. So the language, we, we spent a few weeks looking at different examples from around the state, what made sense, what, what were we comfortable with as a team administering, and what was kind of in line with a lot of practices that existed out there. As the state of Massachusetts has asked schools to become a little bit more prescriptive and what is it you're doing with your phones. We didn't really feel like it was reasonable to have everyone like turn their phones over to some space because that's 1,700 collected items every single day. And to be honest, certain people are well within uh, a respect level of managing their phones. So it's like, why should this person have to give up this thing just because uh, it's, it, and it just didn't feel right. Um, so I think we came to a place where we're saying pretty concretely, they are not to be visible during academic time, period. And I think that allows for someone to keep it in their backpack or their pocket, and as long as it's not out and causing a distraction to the room, it's fine. And I really feel like that's like a responsible way to manage it. I mean, we all have our phones on us throughout the day, and it's gonna be something that they're gonna have to get used to managing. And then we'll use our progressive discipline if that becomes an issue. If they can't keep it out of view, then you know we start with a conversation, we start with local level control with the teacher talking to the student, and then we can you know, go through the more kind of traditional process of more formal write-ups, obviously call some families in, talk about how it's become a distraction, and really kind of like work in a, in a supportive way of saying, hey, th this cannot continue to be a part of your day. So that is a highlight. I know that you know, somebody, I think it asked like, you know, is this becoming a bigger problem, cell phones and electronic device use? I, I don't think it's a problem. I just think it's a reality. And we've got to kind of like for, formulate ourselves around addressing it in a thoughtful way. It doesn't also create like over-policing. I don't think that's the best way necessarily to you know, capture engagement and support kids. So that's like the update on the cell phone policy. Along the same lines, uh, academic dishonesty, artificial dishonesty, right? I mean, cheating is as old as time. And we just happen to have a new version of it with this AI stuff. And uh, previously, even when the internet first came on, I remember when we were at a school and they said, we're going to have one-to-one -one computing. And everyone said, oh, everyone's going to cheat on everything. And it's like, well, maybe we should be writing questions a little differently then if it's so easy to you know, uh, get the answer. And I think AI is going to challenge us a little and test our uh, traditional 
um, kind of approaches, but I don't think that's the worst thing. You know, I think we gotta try to like work with it and understand that no, we don't expect students to take a picture of a math problem and then submit the answer because that's what the AI machine is, is telling them. And, and we need to like monitor how assessments are going. So one of the things with the cell phones is no cell phones there to be shut off during any assessments, really kind of examine the student answering the questions that we have decided are worthy of their time and give us the feedback to say they either know or don't know this. And we can move on or we can't. And I think AI just, uh, it, it makes it a little more difficult for the teacher, I would say. But in the same respect, um, it's, it's something that we're living with. And it's really powerful. I mean, if you, sorry, as a historian again, like we're living in such an amazing time with information sharing. It's far beyond, I think, what we can actually digest is occurring around us. And sometimes it makes us happy and sometimes it makes us really frustrated. But that's just where we are and I think we have to just be open to that and take the good with it and then adjust where we can. While trying to believe in kids not wanting to do that unless they're feeling really panicked about the grade. Most people don't cheat or do things wrong until they're feeling very desperate or uh, cornered. So anyways, that's, uh, that's the third. Uh, clarity around bathroom use policy, we, we have had some instances in bathrooms where like large gathering had occurred and we kind of put in specific language around like one person to a stall, we shouldn't be bringing food into the bathroom, technology should not be in the bathroom, and just trying to reorganize how we use those spaces. We have developed our e-hall pass system which helps monitoring how many students are out in the halls during a given uh, time. We also introduced a new uh, system to check in during the day, so when you walk in, if you're tied to school with your badge, you scan it, a ticket gets created, and you bring that to your teacher so you're not walking all the way up to the third floor to then go back down to the first floor. So we're trying to streamline some of our check-in processes to avoid moments where people are you know, spending extended periods of time out, outside of where they should be. And uh, bathroom monitoring has always been a difficult uh, task for schools. Uh, Smoking in the Boys Room was a song written many, many years ago, and um, it's not to say that it's okay, it's just a reality, and we're trying to deal with it as respectfully as possible. I know last year we had a number of instances where we had to try to shut bathrooms down and really try to work with our students on creating that respectful environment that we talk about, that we believe in. Um, and it's not the easiest thing to do, but I feel as though highlighting a few specific examples is helpful. And finally, the last one is clubs and activities fees. You know, we, we wanted to delineate how much the fee is, why is it charged? Where does it go? When do you have to pay it by? And then also call out and make sure people know if there's a financial hardship that exists, we have uh, practices to make sure that you won't be excluded from participating in a club or an activity just because you didn't uh, or aren't able to pay your fee. We have lists of free and reduced uh, payment on students and we also have opportunity to request through the assistant principal who's in charge of clubs and activities so as to not exclude anyone from participating, but we do pay for the stipends of the club advisors through the activity fee um, revolving account. So it's important that we have accountability that people pay. And it's, it's a pretty small number, I think, $75, to have access to every club that we have at Franklin High School throughout the year. That's over uh, 70 different clubs. And so to me, like that's, not, that's a pretty fair balance when it comes to, if you think of it as like a sport, how much you have to play to pay a sport, you know. So those are the overall uh, changes where, of course, we're always constantly looking to make the handbook accessible and connect with the reality of our work so that families and students know what's expected of them and so that we can be upfront and honest with it. It's like offering a class. Hey, here's what we do, here's how we do it, and how can we help each other. And it was great hard work by our assistant principals 
Maria Weber, Dr. Weber, Kathy Klein, Jen Santasuso, Brian Augusta, and now uh, Mr. Mike Walsh, who just recently joined us as our administrative team. We did this work collaboratively. I'm proud of it. I'm looking forward to setting it forth for, for a great school year. So I'm going to ask Dr. Rogers if you can um, make our principals panelists. Um, we have some uh, some of our building principals here in the audience. Mr. Hendrickson from Oak Street, Ms. Savage from Keller, as well as Mr. Burnaby from Burnaby from ECDC, our new ECDC principal. Um, I see Craig Williams from Remington and Evan Shellman from Parmenter and uh, Robbie Connolly from Kennedy, Stephanie Wasik from Jefferson. Becky Mahdi from Horace Mann. I think I mean everybody. Lizzie Morrison from Andy Sullivan. So then we'll give you an opportunity to um, ask questions or make comments. Okay. We will go down the line. Can you? Uh, thank you, Mr. Mila. I'm glad there's the thing about the eating in the bathroom. It's gross. <laughs> <laughs> Three people sitting in a stall eating together. It's just nasty. Um, I had a question about the first violation of the academic policy. That it, it just seemed like part three, and I know it's not highlighting greens, it's not brand new, but it just seems a little mushy about it might be a zero. Is that if it's a homework versus the big paper? Or? I think, you know, we try to create local control. And oftentimes these situations aren't completely black and white, right? So like there's nuances that I think a teacher has the autonomy to decide to what extent is the violation worthy of a zero and what might that do to the student's overall uh, average uh, as an example. And like to what extent was the dishonesty grave or was it like more negligent or was it like totally you know, deliberate and, and if you, have a policy that is concrete and black and white, it doesn't give the teacher that um, opportunity to take into consideration what other variables might be at play in that situation. So for me, it makes sense to kind of say it may, because we don't know. Um, and every cheating situation I've ever been a part of as an assistant principal had nuances. And I think it's important to respect that uh, reality and give the flexibility to the teacher to decide w what it is that's going to occur. I, in theory, absolutely appreciate that the teachers are given that much autonomy. I just worry about across a department or across a school or, um, because it seems like the first violation is mostly between the parent and the teacher. And the I would hope that the teacher would be supported by administration unless they made that decision. Um, uh, is it, I mean, is it either zero or accounts and they get to redo it, or is it? I mean, I think, again, like, it depends on the particulars of the situation. I, I wouldn't want to say it's 100% uh, going to be a zero. And I mean, this is all being done, like, in a supportive manner with a lot of communication going on between the administration, the teacher, the community, the family. Like, we generally think cheating is a behavior based on a, um, based on a lack of understanding of the material and, and probably like a panic around like I don't know what to do right now so I'm going to steal someone else's information and try to present it as my own which is like the worst version uh, of that and 
um, we want to help make it a teachable moment for the students. So I guess I understand what you're saying that there could be varied approaches. We do have a practice where teachers of the same course are to align their grading systems and approaches to the class. So like if you have twins and they each have a different teacher, their experiences should be very similar. And when it comes to you know cheating scenario, we'd look into the differences of it and say, okay, yeah, this seems to be in line with what we've done in the past. And we're not seeing a ton of cheating at the high school. Like, I mean, it happens, but it isn't like something that's happening with any type of like real consistency, I would say. I don't feel as though it's the same level of issues we've had with like cell phone use or you know bathroom behavior. So I, I think we have a pretty good uh, system at play. And that's a belief that I have philosophically. And I, I get it, like sometimes philosophy doesn't match with policy, but I do believe that teachers want to do the right thing for students and they're going to be able to digest all of the complexities of why this occurred and decide to do the right thing for them. Thank you. Yeah, my last comment was actually towards parents who may be watching and um, I'm going into my 24th year and I just wanted to, I, I like that there's the requirement to contact the parents. Um, I really kind of wish that you could see that often where I teach, you can see a pattern of cheating in different classes. And so if I go into their academic record, I can see, oh, we have quite a problem here in each class. And it may be they're going through a horrible period of their life and they panic and you know there could be many reasons, but it's helpful for to, to look at those patterns. But what I wanted to say to parents is, um, Remember that it can be shocking. I get that it can be shocking when you hear that your child has done something like that and can feel like it reflects on your parenting. Um, every teacher I know does not think it reflects on the parenting. It's like it's a learning moment for the kid. They have kids rarely cheat because they're just bad, evil kids. <laughs> it's poor study habits, that um, poor time management, they think everyone else is doing it. Um, they desire grades rather than learning. Um, they think they won't get caught. They may even have confusion about what is cheating. Um, and, or, or kids who give other people their materials. Um, because that, I have to explain to students, is that's cheating as well, to help somebody and help your friend out, not to put, you shouldn't put your friend in that situation. But, Teachers don't have enough time to get their work done, so they're not falsely accusing your kid. That, that's the frustrating thing for me. When I, when I find a cheater, I go, oh my god, this is going to be three days in my life. It's going to be researching, screenshotting, investigative forensic work to prove it. And, and if I have a parent working with me and saying, look, it's a, it's a chance to recover, it's a chance before they go to college or they are a researcher in a study or they are a chemist in a state crime lab and they're not cheating then where they lose their job or they go to jail. So if you could see this the way we see it as a learning moment with lower stakes and it's not permanent damage to my relationship with a student and I, every teacher I know wouldn't be and that there is time to recover before the term is over, before it's higher stakes for them. So um, that's my little, my little soapbox. It's hard to hear when your kid has done something awful. It's all I've been there. But 
you just keep trucking, keep trucking. All right, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Hamlin. Thank you. Dave? Thank you very much. Um, a couple of questions. One in regards to the fees. So uh, first you mentioned that uh, the fees would be waived for like free and reduced lunch and other individuals. And so just kind of like a shout out to the community, because I know this year we got free uh, lunches for all students in Just Just uh, lunches provided by the state free to students and at no cost to families. And so uh, for those in the community, if you know somebody who otherwise normally would kind of qualify for free and reduced lunch, uh, even though it's, it's going to be provided by the state, uh, please encourage them to still uh, seek out central office. What's the, can you just chime in? Uh, what's the protocol? Sure. Somebody Th through the chair, I send an email today to families. It's in the checklist as one of the um, items to uh, complete the uh, application if you believe you qualify. So it was like, I think it was the third thing on the list, but um, there is a link in the email that went home to all families today, and there's a free meal application. You can do it online now, so, um, and there are paper copies available, but if folks want to just do it in the comfort of their own home and hit submit and move it along, that's, the, that's probably the easiest way, and there's links to it. You can also find it when you go onto the Franklin Public Schools main website. There's the buttons, there's like calendar, one of them is the lunch program. If you click in there, you'll see um, in big bold letters um, how to apply and the link to apply for uh, the free reduced lunch. Thank you for bringing that up. Absolutely, because I, I know that it, it expands more than just free and reduced lunch, as, as you outlined. Thank you very much for, for doing that. Um, and then now, one other question, just in terms of uh, what was listed in the policy, the, the handbooks. So you talk about how you could pay for fees with uh, checks. Uh, or you, typically it's Unipay or also checks are made payable. Do we know uh, like kind of approximately how many checks get cleared for fees? I get a monthly uh, record of account book. Sorry, Mr. Dutch. Oh, go ahead. I'll, I'll fill in afterwards. Okay, so I get a monthly uh, account uh, that comes through that uh, highlights all the student activities and where the money is. And so I would see if we had like a particular swing that didn't add up for what is traditional uh, balance per month, but um, I don't get an itemized uh, picture of the checks that are cleared, so I don't, maybe Mr. Dutch could jump in at that point. Yeah, the majority of payments are made through Unipay. Uh, there aren't too many checks that come to us any longer. I, I couldn't give you a specific percentage, but it's a pretty small number. So at least nothing to kind of like write home about. I, you know, like I know we've talked about some other things kind of going through business office, and, and uh, you know, I'd imagine it just takes more resources, you know, out of your office, but it's not big enough that it really makes much of a blip. No, and, and when it comes to our office, it's it's already been processed at the high school, um, and then we're just checking that work. So we're not actually doing most of the processing, other than making the deposit. So not to a point where it needs to be completely eliminated and just go all <coughs> digital. It, it doesn't cause that much of a backlog. No, not with checks. The only the only piece we'd like to eliminate is cash. All right, perfect. And we don't take cash. So yes, that solves that problem. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, and then, uh, Mr. Hannah, one thing to I just really commend you uh, on the artificial dishonesty, the AI uh, stance. 
really kind of like the just like the thoughtfulness behind it and like leaning into it because as you mentioned it's, it's not going away it's not something just to kind of you know bury your hand head in the sand and say it's just not an option that little line talking about how it's allowed with kind of guidance and acknowledgement from the teacher i think is fantastic it's like chat gpt is something that i've shown my kids and kind of you know we've played around with it and i think it's going to be so important for this generation to have a full understanding about AI and, and where it's going and how it, it can be used and how it shouldn't be used. And so the, the way that it's kind of being written in the handbook is fantastic and I really appreciate the thoughtfulness behind it. So thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah. All right, yeah. Uh, so no questions, but just an observation. Um, I think back through like the first two times that we done these yearbooks, uh, not yearbooks, handbooks, handbooks, and um, just the, the change in the amount of the reduction of work that has been in this because of the work that you all have done to really consolidate and align and really get on the same page. Um, if this this is uh, telling given that there's very little changes that are happening other than some clerical work. Um, so it just shows the, the value of spending the time now, putting the effort in so that down the road we're not making all these making all these changes and having different policies and rules and procedures. So, so um, thank you for all the work that's put in and, and really staying on top of the, the new things that need to be added. So appreciate those. Well, thank you very much for this presentation and uh, your overview of the changes. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, some of what you touched upon in terms of the cell phone and AI I mean, answers some of the questions I had there. Um, it's, it's, I think it's very interesting that we're and very good that we're being proactive about um, as my colleague Mr. Callahan mentioned, like looking, leaning in and looking forward to um, what the future of education is going to look like as technology develops. And so important that um, we adapt uh, as um, high school, but also as a public school system. So thank you for that. A um, couple questions. Um, in regards to the academic dishonesty section, uh, I noticed that there were, um, after the portion about AI, um, there were some updates in terms of the first-time violations of the policy. I'm just curious, um, how do how do those parts specifically, that one, two, that are highlighted um, as new, differ from um, current or past practice? It was just more clarifying who's going to communicate to who and who should be expected to be heard from. Because uh, in the past, I think it was like you'd hear from the school, but it wouldn't necessarily be from the teacher. And what we want to avoid is like. On a Monday, there's an incident of, let's say, academic dishonesty, and it gets put into the portal for the assistant principal to deal with, but they don't get to see the student till Thursday. And then the family's not communicated till Friday or Thursday evening, and meanwhile, the event happened on Monday. So we're trying to like get that communication out to the families the moment that the uh, it, you know incident occurred so that there isn't that delay, because the delay ends up creating a lot of misunderstandings and frustrations. and. You know, so it's the teacher's responsibility with the support of the administration to alert the family as soon as any uh, example of academic dishonesty occurred. And we just kind of wanted to clarify that in the handbook so that there weren't any misunderstandings. Now, of course, if somebody forgets, teacher forgets to report it, they're not gonna, it's not gonna be like, oh, we can't do this. You know, but we're, we're really trying to make sure because to uh, Camille's point regarding like, when a family receives a call that their child is now being named like a cheater or some type of discipline around, you know, the emotions can get pretty high very quickly. And if it's delayed, it just adds to that, right? So it's like, and the kid obviously probably would have some anxiety around, oh, I just got caught, like what's going on? So we're, we're just really highlighting how important it is to loop everyone in as soon as possible in those first few steps. So it really isn't like 
a change of practice. It's more just calling out deliberately who's responsible for what in those first few hours or days of an incident. Oh, thank you. That makes a lot of sense, and it's always beneficial to try to streamline existing processes through clarity. So, um, yeah, absolutely makes sense to me. Um, in regards to the club fees, you know, my uh, my colleague brought this up in terms of the financial hardship waivers, and thank you, Mr. Kudir, for mentioning the availability of the link in the application where that is. Um, I'm just wondering, so how, so I mean, it's excellent that we're highlighting this now. How well do we advertise this so that we ensure that um, everyone who potentially could either apply or um, that, with, that this would be available to knows? And, I mean, and could you also maybe touch a little bit upon whoever can in terms of the confidentiality of this information and to mention the, the, our processes for keeping that safe to ensure that there's no stigma involved for applying for this? Uh, I could start, Mr. Hanna, and then you want to, sure. if anyone is, wants to chime in just at different levels. But ultimately, I did mention um, it was in my checklist and letter that goes out, but it's also included in back to school communications that families receive um, at the opening day. Many families, you may recall the time we used to get the paper packets that has everything in it, and you just sign it because you know it's due. Um, we've tried to move to online forms that allow folks to click on links and then accept um, different pieces but we, uh, we make efforts to promote this. Uh, how it looks when families fill this out, if they do qualify, the way purchasing works, uh, when we were paying for lunch, for example, um, students would type in their individual code. It's the elastic number or the code for their school. Type it right in, and it's just like the student behind them who maybe had money put on their Titan account or links, I think it's called LinkQ, uh, their Titan account. So there's no way to necessarily differentiate between someone who's receiving support um, through the free and reduced meal program or not. When it comes to um, reduced fees in different areas, students who qualify um, still go through the registration process for buses and whatnot. And we have a running list of um, those who qualify and then they are either billed at a reduced fee appropriately or in some cases if it's free, it's all within the internal here. It happens that uh, whoever the manager is of the account that's going to waive the fee, whether it's Chromebook insurance or a bus um, fee. So that, that's how that works. We continue to try to promote that because some folks may not realize that they're eligible. Um, I think that's where uh, proactively putting it out like I did today, also seeing it go out um, in other areas like when we do our back to school forms and messaging through newsletters. But also I think as we start to live the life of school, there's no, um, you can apply at any time. Ideally, we try to have the lunchroom likes to put a huge push so that students who maybe were eligible, let's just say, now that with lunches being available at no cost, it's a little different, but I can, I can remember a time where a student may be racking up a, a lunch bill and then it's a conversation and we would often connect with the family separate of the student and say, have you thought, you know, through conversation you learn things and then you provide that opportunity for them to apply. And if they apply, then that's taken off their plate. So we try to look for proactive ways and then reactive ways with trusted adults that have built relationships with families and with students. I can remember sitting in a kitchen um, with, a, with a parent um, regarding this and just having that conversation, helping, helping fill out the form. And nobody knows who that is or when that was, but ultimately we do what we can to try to reach people and meet their way. Excellent, thank you, that's, that's very helpful. Just to follow up with something you said, so you mentioned that 
all all of this is dealt in-house in the admin level. So no club supervisor or um, administrator is aware of who's receiving a, a fee or not. No, they uh, they register through our online processes, and the more we um, come up to date with no cash, um, limited checks, uh, the only way would be if a check was passed. It's, it should be directed to go somewhere where someone's handling that and managing that. And those are like account managers. The club advisors aren't responsible to manage fees or they're there to look at students who are showing up or are on their roster or whatnot. It's a good question. Thank you. And uh, one, one more question for you, Principal Hannah, but in regards to the middle level health curriculum exemptions for um, admin or whoever. And I asked this because there, um, this came up a couple months ago and there seemed to be some confusion over this topic. So um, just for clarification, the only curriculum that parents and guardians are allowed to exempt their children from are those regarding human sexuality, correct? It's not, there's nothing else? Correct. Okay. Thanks. Um, first, I want to say hi to all the principals up in Zoom land. Hi, everybody. I hope you had a great summer. Welcome back, or welcome if you're returning to Franklin. Um, looking at you or new to Franklin. So I know there's so much work um, in the principal roles and you two in the audience. Um, you guys do so much work in the summers and it does not go unnoticed. So hopefully you also have some time to balance with some fun and outdoor time and um, relaxation. Friends and family. Um, handbooks are an important thing because they're school committee policy. So, so they're long and they're thorough and they're detailed and that's all really on purpose. <laughs> and I know as parents we sign off with our, with our kids that we've read through the whole handbook and just a reminder to the community, to the um, parents and guardians out there that it's really important to read it all. Um, it's really important to read it all because there's a lot in there, there's been a lot of thought um, that goes into these handbooks and really it's like every year there's more thought there's more updates like these are um i think the amount of work that goes on behind the scenes for handbooks is, is um is there's a lot there and so it's important as as parents if we've already read this last year or the year before to read it again because there are certainly updates and they're really important so we're talking about a bunch of them tonight but um, we're not really getting into all the nitty-gritty of the handbooks, and there's really important um, things in there that we're all bound to as parents and guardians, and we need to make sure that we take that responsibility seriously. Um, the couple things that I just wanted to talk about uh, for a minute are, um, so I guess back to the AI, which a couple of my colleagues brought up. So again, you know, hats off to you guys for um, embracing it or, or learning to live with it as you said I think which is a good way um, you know we'd like we'd like to lean into it we'd like to leverage it as educators but then like how do we know what to do and I think that's what it comes down to for me is like how do the teacher how do the principal like somebody's like these kids know more than we do when it comes to technology so like how are we supposed to be the ex or how are the educators supposed to be the experts and really it's a rhetorical question but I do think that like could there be opportunity at some point with the, you know, the um, teacher voice and choice and PD or something like? Could there be PD that the educators could go to to learn about, like, okay, tell me about 
tell me about chat GPT and how can I use it to like help me write test questions, but also how can I have conversations around how some people can use it to write an essay or to edit an essay or is there an assignment around using chat GPT where we can teach them and not just like turn a blind eye, but like actually go through it. But like to be able to do that, we need to know what we're working with. And I think that's sort of like, you know, we have com conversations about this offline because it, it moves so fast. Um, and we don't all have the time to really dive in there. So like, I, I do wonder in the district, like is there a person that can be like the chat GPT person that like you just email that person, you call that person when you're sort of faced with something or um, you read about something, like could there be sort of like somebody in the district? And again, that's sort of like food for thought. Um, but I do, I feel like it's moving really fast and we, we need to get on it. Someone needs to get on it and you don't. <laughs> There are plenty of people who are not qualified to do that, myself included. Um, another thing, I, and I think that would apply to the high school and middle school too. Um, because, yeah, so, so staff sort of learning how to leverage it, using it for their own practice, um, and then also modifying assessment. Like if you've used the same assessment for 12 years, and it's a certain type, like it could easily be put into like the prompts. I don't even know the lingo really. Like you put the prompts into the AI and then it gives you the thing and then you submit it to a teacher. Um, so like maybe assessments need to be modified in a different way. Like are there more presentations or, um, you know. Um, the other thing I think that's important that stood out to me in the middle school handbooks is the communication between students and their parents and guardians. Um, and so I think that's an important thing that, like these kids have their phones and hopefully they're not bringing them out in class because they're not supposed to and we'd probably be hearing about it if they were, but you know, like are they going to the restroom to text mom like, oh I have a headache, I'm not feeling well, can you pick me up? Or like, oh I forgot my, oh, I forgot my project or the homework or whatever, like can you bring it to the office? So like, is it going student to parent or guardian directly without the school sort of being a part of that communication? So I guess I wonder, I was interested in that if any of the middle school principals wanna talk about that and sort of like, there, something wouldn't go into the handbook if it was just like a one kid situation. So this must be something that you're sort of seeing patterns of. So how does sort of putting that communication, the communication needs to be channeled through the school or the school nurse, like how is, how is that gonna sort of help what, you're, what you've been seeing? Yeah, Elise, I think that's exactly right. Um, we were seeing a lot of, not a lot, um, enough to cause alarm of students who were texting their parents and asking to be picked up, not feeling well, going to the bathroom. And coming off of COVID, we really just wanted it streamlined that if there was an actual illness that our nurse was aware and could communicate the expectations about returning to school. Um, so that was one piece of it, um, just so that we could all have the most accurate information um, if there was an actual illness going on and not just a student wanting to go home for the day. Yeah, I think, and I would just add that it's just to minimize the overall distractions during the school day too. Um, you know, whether it's making plans for the afternoon or whether it's sometimes even a parent reaching out with a piece of communication um, that, um, that is necessary for the student to see after school. We just want to send a clear message that the devices are not 
accessible to our middle school students during the day, they're turned off and in, the lo and in their lockers. Um, and that will be across all three middle schools for all students this year. And it's just a reminder that that really truly is the best practice for the middle le level student and to partner with our families. And we know that phones are a reality and that a lot of students have them even at the middle level age, but just to, just to make the school day as um, efficient and um, you know, um, effective as possible. That's helpful. Thank you. And again, just you know, to all the parents and guardians out there, that's like that means us too. It takes two to have like a text conversation. Um, and um, yeah, I appreciate it being put in here and sort of like just the thought about it. You know, like we need, we can't. It's like if our friend is at work and we're like, oh, you know, tomorrow afternoon, can you swing by to pick up that? Like that's okay sometimes to do our friend at work because then they're gonna look at the phone when they're able to in between meetings or something. But for a sixth, seventh, or eighth grader, they're just. It's all the immediacy all the time. And so we don't want to sort of feed into that um, distractibility. So again, thank you all for all your hard work for the summer. Much appreciated. Through the chair, just to follow up on this conversation, as you mentioned, like, what can we do as parents? And, and I will just say that we have responsibility and control as well, not just to not text, but we have the ability to set parameters that five people are available for you to be texting during the school day, for example. And they include, you know, your caregivers, your parents, whatever your situation is, and close adults. And I think the texting between and among students throughout the school day has definitely caused not only distraction in the moment, but oftentimes I think about the amount of time our administrators are spending chasing down issues that are either derived or kind of continued on from cell phone use is uh, is staggering. The amount of investigations, and it's it's hard to, um, it's, I'm just gonna say it because that's where we're at, I wanna be honest, it's really hard to watch the amount of people involved in looking into situations that took place at 11 o'clock at night in someone's room towards another person at 11 o'clock at night, and we are expected at 7.20 to manage it and solve it and investigate it and someone's leaving ultimately disappointed because of a situation and I'm having a hard time with it. And the commissioner spoke at our conference about cell phone use and some of the apps and the dangers around TikTok and the messaging. And I think that's all true. And uh, you may have seen in the paper around grants for uh, how to mitigate cell phones. I think the approach we've taken developmentally to look at middle school, not having it as a distractive tool, by high school trying to provide a little more responsibility where you don't have it uh, during instruction, but for all the work we do to plan high quality instruction and have teachers put together the best lessons, all the stuff that we just talked about modeling UDL, it's really hard when you're competing with um, distracted students that have cell phones and are either using them to text among each other or whatnot. So I think as I, I wonder about a parent forum or a night or an informational night where we can just all learn together because I don't have it figured out, but I, I'm witnessing the impact of it, and I'm wondering about what can we do to help provide information to our families and our students around how we can all work together as a community to handle this. So I'm sorry, so there are instances where students are texting each other at 11 o'clock at night in their homes, not in school, and then the next day they come in and they complain to school, and then our principals, assistant principals, teachers, central office have to spend hours and hours and hours trying to handle a situation that happened at home 
when you guys should be like dealing with student services and teaching, learning? Yeah, yes. Um, the answer is yes. We also, we have an obligation to maintain a safe climate in school. And unfortunately, something that happened at night does impact the next day for school. So we have an obligation and a responsibility to make sure kids can enter school and feel safe. I'm just pointing out for everyone out there that sometimes these things happen in that context. We still are going to provide a safe environment and do the work, but I think it would be helpful if we all could figure out ways that we can work together to minimize the number of instances where that type of behavior is occurring. So this isn't a judgment, and I'm, I'm willing to take the, the, the responses people have or counters, but it's, I'm just pointing out, we have administrators, and when you don't get an email back the next day within 24 hours on a question you had, it could be that they're now working on a situation that occurred the night before on, on a cell phone um, situation. So I'm just trying to provide a, a lens to the reality of some of the instances that we've seen. And the one I mentioned is a is a real one, and I can I can look around and scan the room and know that it's happened in multiple occasions. Um, so we we want to be supportive, but yes, you are correct in the in uh, reiterating the example I provided. So how much time is being taken away from your core positions to handle stuff like this? If you had to guess. This, this seems like a lot to be put on your plates. You're also trying to do the jobs and manage behaviors outside of the home. I can't answer that right now. Um, I don't know. It depends on. I, I would. I'm happy to get back to you, but I do know there's um, time during each day where it's dedicated to working with students on follow-up from issues that have emerged. And correct me if I'm wrong, principals, but uh, having a cell phone involved in some capacity. Is, uh, is the case in, in many cases, and it leads to having to trace down those paths um, and try to figure that out. So um, I don't want to misspeak or overspeak or embellish, but it does take a lot of time, and it does take away from other work that I think, as a community, we want our principals engaged in. Well, it sounds like it takes a village, and I hope that families are also being brought into the conversations as well and not holding it too much against our overworked staff. And I think we can we can also provide some community learning together on that, on what the best practices are, how we can try to help each other with that. So. Denise, can I make a comment related? Yes, I'm sure. Um, I think attached to that is um, that we parents, and I'm not here preaching because this is something I struggle with. I am glad that my children come to me with issues, um, but I cannot provide real-time therapy or help. And if I allow them to text me during the day, they will. I have a child in Amsterdam with a family, and I'm getting texts that really are minor things that when she was at camp, she would have figured out. And so I, that's on me because I have replied to those. And it's if we look at it, I'm trying not to look at it as I failed as a parent, I'm looking at it as I'm not providing opportunities for my children if they're, if I'm constantly accessible during the school day, I'm not providing opportunities for them to figure it out. They panic and then they want an answer. And over time, my job is to make them not need me. And that, creates this dependency that there was something wonderful about that your parents had no idea where you were, but also you had to deal with your own 
situations, and that was good very often, that you had to figure out problems, take a minute, and say, what do I do, what do I do? So if, if we could also, as parents, have discipline about contacting our kids during the school day, that would help teachers and administrators quite a bit as well. Thank you guys, everyone here and online. Go get some ice cream. I'd say go get gelato, but it's closed now, so find somewhere else to go. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, everybody. All right, moving along. Graduation proposal. Okay, it's like a prom proposal. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's not that type of proposal. But um, in front of you is a recommendation to Set the oh, shoot. Oh, you're the vote on that. Yeah. I was just trying to move along. All right. Is there a motion to approve the 2023-2024 student and family handbooks as detailed? So moved. Is there a second? Second. All right. Uh, vote will come on the motion. All those in favor signify by saying aye. 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 Opposed? My apologies, Superintendent Chair. Motion no, carries. That's completely fine. Graduation proposal. <laughs> so we have a recommendation uh, for the approval for a high school graduation date um, to be set for May 31st, 2024. That's for the graduating class of 2024. In your packet is a proposal from Principal Hanna regarding the date, and I'm going to allow Mr. Hanna to come up to the podium and, and join us to um, explain the five major areas, kind of give uh, an overview, and then answer any questions as well. But ultimately, uh, this falls within, just to be clear, it falls within the guidelines set by the state of Massachusetts with regard to graduation date and when school ends for seniors. And uh, this proposal comes, just to be clear for context and history, I went back and looked at your February packet. The graduation date was not on the calendar, so you did not vote on that particular date. In the spirit of transparency and trying to have an open conversation, the date was then, after the fact, we fill in some of the calendar in information that's not necessarily a school committee vote. We add in certain half days, and we work with our uh, FEA to establish which dates will have um, certain things. And we then added uh, the calendar that was added, and that was the graduation date was, was set to June 7th on one of the calendars. So we're here today in the spirit of transparency and to explain the rationale for why it would fall the week of Memorial Day after Memorial Day weekend, as it traditionally does. And the next time this is an issue will be 2030 for those at home, but we wanted to talk through it today. Mr. Gannon? Sure, thank you. Um, and yeah, I, I've highlighted a few reasons why uh, we're asking for this adjustment. Um, and you know, I mean, somebody had mentioned just a few minutes earlier, like, what are we doing to maintain the you know energy level of our staff and administration? And one of the things I think we're always constantly looking at is like, what does our cadence look like for the year, mm -hmm. and how can we separate things so that we're not trying to do two things at once? Because that's when people start to get frustrated because they're not doing their best self, right? And we owe our seniors a great week, and we also owe the rest of the school our attention where we can give it. And so. Uh, moving the date a week before gives us a chance to separate the senior graduation um, rehearsals and celebrations off of a week where we also simultaneously be trying to uh, organize our science MCAS and closing the school year down, assuming not too many snow days. We're putting a whole lot of things in a very short window of time. And I don't know, you know, we tell our teachers all the time, like, 
Make adjustments to your curriculum that give you the opportunity to do things well and your students to succeed. And I think this is an example of us like looking at what we're trying to do and offering a suggestion that I think would be, uh, is in line with what the state's guidelines are, is in line with what area schools are doing and will allow for our staff and administration to get into those weeks and bring the full energy that's needed and provide great opportunities. So uh, as, as stated, this allows for our senior week to continue as has gone on the last three years, which is leading uh, days following Memorial Day weekend. Uh, and that involves things like a trip to Kimball Farms, a boat cruise. This year we were fortunate enough to involve going to a Red Sox game. We'll see if that's available again for next year. Uh, taking it off of the week where BioNCAS is being uh, administered allows for much more kind of shared responsibility. All of the APs are involved in the uh, organization of graduation rehearsal as they read all of the students' names and help kind of line students up, and, et cetera. So to try to do both those would be difficult. Uh, we wouldn't be outside of that weekend as exampled by uh, area schools. Bishop Fian is on Thursday. Hopkinton, Blackstone, Millville, and Nipmuc will also be on Friday. Uh, Randolph, Avon, Uxbridge, and Hopedale will be on uh, Saturday. And Walpole, Mansfield, Milton, Milford, and Needham will be on Sunday. So it's not like we'd be the only school in the area that's uh, graduating that weekend. Um, the state allows for it. Uh, one other uh, piece is that we are attempting to bring junior book awards back. A lot of local colleges and universities had stopped uh, issuing junior book awards because of COVID and the kind of like not large gatherings and so on. And now they're getting back up and running with a lot of those. So to have that extra week, we could do the junior book awards in a thoughtful way, maybe like in a morning opposite the MCAS. Uh, but to try to put all those things together in that week, because we wouldn't be able to do it that week um, if, if the graduation stayed and the MCAS and then final exam to be the next week. So it would really be a sweet spot to kind of honor uh, the, the junior class in that in that way. And uh, in past districts I worked in, that's the week that it's done. It's kind of a nice way to kind of like pass the torch. The seniors are gone and you're the next leadership group and we want to kind of recognize. So those are the uh, larger points as to why uh, this meeting has occurred. Um, and I want to thank Superintendent Jagir for being willing to, to hear us and be flexible. I think we're modeling what we were talking about, which is like, we're doing a whole heck of a lot, maybe more than what school districts have done historically, and let's make sure that we're setting ourselves up for success, and I believe this adjustment does. And I apologize to the community members who had seen the, the original date, and if this gets approved, if we're able to move forward, that they're, maybe they're gonna have to switch uh, you know, a party plan or something, but I, I do feel as though these reasons are strong enough, and they're still a good, solid, nine or 10 months or so between now and then, which I think is a reasonable amount of time to, to make an adjustment. Um, so. so. Through the chair, uh, one last piece, Mr. Hanna, you may have mentioned it, but um, freshman, um, eighth grade step up transitions. So all three middle schools mm -hmm. transition to the high school for tours in the spring. And we typically do that the week after um, graduation gets out. If you only have um, the seventh and then the 14th being the last day of school, plus finals plus the um, MCAS bio, uh, it definitely creates a very tight, tight window with tours happening um, for eighth grade. So I just wanted to point that out as well. In that one. So yes, that's, that was another example uh, of a thing we're trying to do. And I heard that the Friday after Memorial Day is going to be beautiful weather. We're <laughs> 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 definitely banking on that. And, and that, it, since this is uh, up, and I know that that's a point of, uh, you know, 
uh, not worry, but we definitely want to make sure that we're offering a safe, inclusive, great graduation ceremony, which having it outside allows for everyone to go, which is really the most inclusive version of a graduation I think that you can have. However, we obviously don't want to put people in harm's way, and, and we did have a bit of a, a weather incident uh, this past June. We managed-ish through, um, and we have a, a much stronger, more organized game plan to uh, have a, be able to switch uh, back inside um, much closer to the graduation uh, date then. Um, well, I, I just want you to know when, you, when we're coming to this conclusion, we know how special it is for everyone to be there. When you go inside, you really limit the amount of people that can be a part of the celebration. And that is something the students have asked repeatedly for is to be outside. They, they, didn't, they weren't upset. They were excited. And you know, I think Taylor Swift, in a lot of ways, kind of showed us the way <laughs> in performing her concert for four hours in the pouring rain. Um, you know, so anyways, I, I, but I, did, I wanted to honor that, that part of the discussion around graduation, too, and know that it, it's a very serious decision we make. We know it's a huge part of the year, and we want people to enjoy um, and that we're hoping for much more consistent weather this upcoming season. Any questions? Uh, yeah, I do have one question. So I'm just hoping to get some clarity on the, the rationale. Um, so, like, I'm looking at this year. So this year, Memorial Day is on the 27th. We're proposing the 31st. No, no question there. Um, and then initially the date was June 7th. So next year, Memorial Day is on the 26th, Friday is the 30th, and June, the first Friday in June is the 6th. Very similar to this year. So what happens next year? Well, my understanding is the uh, end of the school year won't be in that two-week window, so that that would give us that extra week after to host these uh, different events and also run through uh, our MCAS without there being conflict. Gotcha, okay. Thank you for the clarity. So the main driver is where the end of the school year is landing and Correct. that time I just want to commend you. I think this proposal is really thoughtful. It's well-researched. I think you have a lot of foresight to be thinking about your staff and our students in June, in May and June. Um, and I know some people think like they might have already started making plans, um, but I think that, as you said, this is you know nine plus months of time and hopefully enough room for people to sort of pivot on that. Um, and I just, I really appreciate it. I think you laid out so many really, really um, compelling factors here. And thanks for your work on this. My pleasure. All right, Mr. Q. So, um, I know that you did not vote, that you did not vote on the calendar, but we did post this as a date. It's in the discussion actions, mm -hmm. but um, you know we would seek your approval to uh, repost the date at the, um, I, I, I recommend the approval of having this date uh, be changed as detailed. Okay. Sorry, uh, okay, one more question. Sure. So I guess how do we get ahead of this next time so that folks don't make their plans and right. and now we change it? Like what's what's the protocol going forward? Yeah. The protocol is uh, when you vote on a calendar uh, next February-ish when we do the, the calendar and we have it settled, we would then uh, have a meeting to discuss the graduation date, look at all of the timelines, and then set that date um, so that we're clear right from the start. Because if we had, the, uh, what had happened is this was put on the calendar and then posted publicly. And the discussion um, in the spring, once we learned and we started to look at the timing, it made sense that uh, for the reason, well, the reasons that were provided for you today, 
Um, we are already considering looking out ahead into the future years and how this lays out. This was one of those that it was put on the calendar just based on where the first Friday fell and it was um, kind of put out and then we hadn't had the opportunity to discuss it. So yeah, the reason for the, for the public debate is really to try to open up conversation and not switch a date and then have someone say, wait a minute, I know I saw that as a different date and uh, the intention would have been if we had uh, had the opportunity to put it, to have that discussion, we would have had it uh, set this way from the beginning. Thank you. Is there a motion to approve the high school graduation date change as detailed? So moved. Is there a second? Sorry. All right, but we'll come on the motion. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? All right, motion carries. Discussion only items nine, information matters, superintendent evaluation, release. No new updates. Policy to the calendar? Next meeting, September 20th. Community relations, I go everyone an email. For the Harvest Festival, we've got a table. So, joint PCC and? So, we have our schedule for the year. Uh, we will be meeting on the second Mondays of every month. The first meeting is on uh, September 11th from 1030 to 1130. Second Mondays. Okay. Um, can I have one thing there? Of the joint PCC, yeah. Sure, it's a question. Oh, yeah. um, I, when we were talking about the free and reduced lunch, like how do we get that information out there since we're not actually charging families for lunch? Is that something that joint PCC can, or the PCCs can push out? Yeah, yeah, yeah we could we definitely bring that yeah. for a discussion. They probably piece. have in the past, but I think that's like worth at least like bringing up to them with, with the link. Like, and I also just to, through the chair, I, I sent an email today, a specific email for free or reduced lunch to families um, that went out. Separate of my welcome back mm -hmm. with, with the links, it was a dedicated email to the free and reduced. I didn't mention it earlier, but I wanted to share that folks should look through their inbox to see that. Thank you. Thank you. A school wellness advisory council. Um, we're our first meetings, I'm guessing the beginning of October. Yeah, so the first. Feedback? No, no updates. Mental health and well-being task force. Our first meeting will be the second week of October, day ten. Okay. And to um, we have no new updates. Okay. And then for our what are they called? Comprehensive study thing facility planning. Yes, I think we make a lease. Dave Callahan and L for stepping up. So I'm sure that everyone will be emailing. I sent it to Lucas. So you guys will be saying some time. Um, all right, consent agenda, Mr. Chair. I recommend approval of the minutes from your August 8th, 2023 school committee meeting as detailed. I recommend acceptance of a check for $101.02 from Shutterfly LLC for in house enrichment as detailed. I recommend acceptance of a check for $34.73 from Ohio Pile for supplemental supplies at FHS as detailed. Right. Is there a motion to approve the consent agenda as detailed? So moved. Is there a second? Sorry. Discussion, questions? Uh, seeing none, but we'll come to motion. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. Citizens' comments. Are there any citizens in the audience, in person or online, who would like to make a comment on an item not on tonight's agenda and falls within the committee's purview? Hand up earlier, Tina. Was that put it a while ago? Okay. 
new business district here. Okay. Uh, at your next meeting, uh, we anticipate having another trip proposal for 2025 um, that I don't want to steal the thunder of the presenter. Mr. Penzo will be uh, coming to present on the trip proposal. We'll also introduce our newly hired administrators and have them in person in the room for that introduction. And then there's a Franklin TV board appointment um, for the next three years that will need to take place as well. All right, so we've come to the end. At this team, I would entertain a motion to adjourn. So moved. Is there a second? Second. Uh, oh, call the motion. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? We adjourned. Thank you, everyone. See you in two weeks. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tin Type Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.